really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So lots to get to this week. So let's get started. So as always, we start with our current updates, and you know what? Nothing really to report on the home front this week. Uh, the new job's don't, uh, going good. My son is doing great at school. My partner's having a great year at the school where she works, and uh, and she just got cast in a great play. In fact, so all of our personal arrows are sort of pointed upward. Uh, we did just have a visit from the in-laws, which can be stressful, but it's also a chance to go in Boston, see some places and things we haven't seen before, or at least haven't seen in quite a while. Uh, and plus, you know, it's just been beautiful fall weather here in general. You know, for, for, I don't know, 10 or 12 days out of a given year, New England has to be the most beautiful place on earth. You just never know when those days will come, unfortunately. Well, if you are a friend of the pod, Craig Manson, it is definitely good news. So Craig's favorite prop in the world, as far as I can tell, Stephen Kitsoff. He will be joining Ulster next season, though, you know, we still have a bit of a wait. According to the article I found, linked, of course, in the show notes, quote, Kitsoff won't roll into Ravenhill until after the Rugby World Cup in France next year. Head coach Dan McFarlane said, we have an exciting stable of young Irish qualified props at Ulster, so to be able to support their development alongside some world-class operators is great news for everyone associated with Ulster and Irish rugby. As a club that is intent on consistently competing for championships, we're always looking to add to and improve our squad. This includes recruiting players to be a part of the Ulster rugby family, but most importantly, to support and drive the development of young players within our pathway, unquote. Well, well, Craig, start booking those family vacations to the Emerald Isle right now because the ginger fire hydrant will be there in the flesh. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week ended up being about news reporting and Twitter and the incredibly stupid relationship they have with each other. So while I was looking around for some inter interesting tidbits this week, as I always do after a full weekend of rugby, I came across the headline, Sexton is a petulant child, Leinster fly half under fire. And you know what? I admit, I clicked on it. The first thing that happened was I spoiled my chance to watch Leinster versus Sharks, the match I had been saving from this past weekend. Uh, as you know, the first sentence in this article, of course, mentioned the final score. Stupid me, incredibly boneheaded move. Uh, I mean, I, I fell for clickbait, let's face it. But the article itself was a prime example of the incredibly dumb thing all so-called news sources do now. They say, so-and-so took their frustrations to Twitter where they posted blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And then immediately after that, there is inevitably a screenshot of the tweet. You just read us the tweet. We don't need to read it twice. It, it's like they think there's only a select few people who actually have access to Twitter, and therefore this screenshot will be like an exciting glimpse into another world. Either that or they think we just won't believe them without proof. Hey, news websites everywhere. We all have Twitter. And even if we don't, we can still look at it. Stop wasting all that time and space. It makes it seem like you're just totally aware, unaware of how social media works in general. And it feels like all news sources are run by, I don't know, your dim-witted uncle who just went online last month. <sighs> okay, rant over. 
Okay, that of course brings us to our reviews, and I'm going to actually start with just a mini format update. I wanted to take a second to let you all know we're going to change up our format for the weekly show just a wee bit. So in the beginning, we sort of went through every single match, almost doing like a, an after-the-fact play-by-play, but that made the show way too long. So we sort of tightened things up a bit, tried to concentrate more on other things, but frankly, it still came across very play-by-play-ish. So I do still want to get to all the scores because I feel like that's a big part of the weekly episodes, but I'm going to give sort of a broader overview of what's happening or what's recently happened in these competitions overall and then highlight, you know, cool, interesting or funny stuff that I spotted while watching. (laughs) To be honest, I'm not sure you'll even notice much of a difference, but I will and I think the show will be better for it. So if you have any feedback about the show or these changes, please reach out and let me know. And speaking of which, if you could take a couple minutes to just leave me a nice review, you know, that'd be really great. It's been quite some time since anyone has done that. Um, as always, though, thank you for coming along, and let's get right back to it. So on to the actual reviews, and of course, we're going to start with the 2021 Rugby World Cup. The pool stages, of course, carry on this past week. On Saturday, it was Scotland versus Australia, and I'll tell you, I don't know if I can take another super close last-minute loss. Scotland is killing me right now. I'd honestly almost prefer a good old-fashioned beatdown to this, just another huge gut punch. The Wallaroos were scoreless for huge swaths of this match, got two players red-carded, but still scored two unanswered tries late to sink the hopes of Scottish fans everywhere, myself included. You know, if I was an Aussie fan, I'd be over the moon with this one, but, well, I am not. Ugh. Anyway, USA versus Japan was up next, and finally, it was a bit of good news, for me at least, with my Eagles prevailing handily over a spirited Japanese team that I've really come to admire. Um... Japan were a little loose in tackling, missing 21 throughout the contest. They had a habit of coughing up the ball in USA territory. Um, These two things may have doomed them in the end. Our captain, Kate Zachary, was named player of the match. It was an impressive showing uh, uh, for us overall. Really, really enjoyed it, unsurprisingly. Um, France and England was destined, of course, to be the matchup of the weekend and likely the tournament thus far, and it did not disappoint. I was rooting against hope for France, And the fact that they held the English juggernaut to only 13 points is incredible. The English defense, of course, was even more stifling, however, and while I wasn't shocked to see the French lose this one, the fact that there were only six points separating them by the end was remarkable. Just has to give other hopeful teams like the Black Ferns, for instance, some added confidence. Absolute edge-of-your-seat match and only 20 total uh, points in this one. I am loving this tournament so far. So then on Sunday, it was Italy versus Canada. Canada found their way to a gutsy win, 12-22. to If I tried to describe how geeked I am for USA versus Canada next week, I would fail. I'm telling you right now. Um, I'm sorry I don't have much more to say about this one. I intentionally sort of put the notebook aside just to enjoy it outright, which was nice, but now I do feel like I'm sort of shortchanging it. There will be more, I promise. So, Wales versus New Zealand was next. Oh my word, it was so much fun. I know, I know, I often see in this, say in this very space how I dislike blowouts, and this surely was that, but it was the second time in a row my partner decided to watch an entire match top to bottom with me, which just makes it so much more special. Um, she's starting to get to know some of the players, even reminded me of the great nickname they used last week, Wonder Woodman, and <laughs> holy crap, New Zealand just looked so good. Tui, I mean, she's become one of my, I don't know, top three, four players on earth. And there, there was just so much greatness on display on a gorgeous day to boot, no pun intended. Um, I was so happy I had saved this one for the last match of the weekend for me. Uh, at the beginning, I wondered if New Zealand were sort of disrespecting their opponents by naming 12 new players for this fixture. But at halftime, they actually asked Wayne Smith why he'd done that. And he basically said, 
this is a home world cup and many of these players will never get this opportunity again. So I'm going to make damn sure everybody gets out there at some point And I am drinking that Kool-Aid big time. Uh, oh yes, there was actually a match as well. And uh, Wales, you know, they left many, many chances out there just coughing it up at the most inopportune times. It, it honestly felt like the final scoreline deserved to be closer. However, with yet another try after the clock had gone red, it was all Kiwis, the tournament's home team, winning again 12 to 56 in this one. So finally, for this round of the pool stages, uh, in real time at least, it was Fiji versus South Africa, and I decided that this would be the match I would save for Monday or Tuesday. So please, as always, no spoilers. Okay, moving on to the NPC semifinals on Friday the 14th, Wellington versus Auckland. There's just so much history between these teams. It, it's in fact a rivalry. I, I looked this up. It's a rivalry so old that Danny Kerr was only 42 years old when it began. Auckland, of course, uh, just got the upset win last week over North Harbor, and it kind of seemed like that might have been all they sort of had left because they looked, you know, flat and sloppy and a, a bit slow for this one. Uh, they only managed one score in the entire first half, and that was in large part because. Connor Garden Bashup missed a tackle so badly he kind of spun off his man and sort of ended up taking out one of his own teammates and poof the runner was away. You know I like his game generally but I am wondering if he's a bit of a liability on defense. Um, Auckland did manage a couple of scores in the second half but every little thing was going the way the home team even getting the you know the bizarre bounces that just land in their players hands they were on cruise control all night. You had to wonder if North Harbor would have put up a better fight. Uh, it was only when they lost Bryn Gatlin through uh, that things went south for them last week. That knee to the face, you know, might have changed the entire outcome of this season. Uh, this one was a laugher by the end. Wellington were the first team to punch their tickets to the finals, 54 to 19. And then Saturday for the other semi, it was Canterbury versus Bay of Plenty, and Bay of Plenty hadn't won in Christchurch since wait for it, 1975. Whew. So it was going to be a tall order on the evening. But, you know, there have been plenty of upsets so far in the last few weeks, so I imagine anything could happen. Uh, a one-for-three kicking performance by the visitors saw them a tenuous lead, but it felt like things hadn't really gotten started after the first quarter. Nerves aplenty all around. Uh, Billy Ketchup got the start for Canterbury, and just for the record, I know it sounds like I'm making fun of him with this little nickname. The fact is, he's awesome, and, and the fact that they waited until the last couple of weeks to start him, that speaks to me at least of how much they value him and their desire to have him fit for a situation like this one. Naturally, as soon as I wrote that, he got smeared. <laughs> it was very slow to get up. And could, have, could have been a big moment in this match for sure. Anyway, they showed an unbelievable stat at one point. For the 2022 NPC, the top five teams for line-out steals and I'm not making this up, it was Manawatu with 13, good for them. <laughs> they had precious other little things good this week, uh, this year. Uh, Hawks Bay and Waikato were tied at 14, Bay Plenty a healthy 17, and then their current opponents, Canterbury, with 26. Holy crap. So as for the proceedings, it was a bad sign that Bay Plenty couldn't get a try in the first half, though it was only 13-3, to so not unsalvageable. Uh, I have to say, seeing a low-scoring semi in the NPC was a bit surprising, and I thought, whoever wins this, can they actually score enough points to be competitive with Wellington next week? However, oh my word, this one just got better and better when Bay made it 11-10 to 10 with around a half hour to go, and points still at a premium. I mean, momentum seemed like a big factor, and the visitors had all of it. But then, and we all should have seen it coming, Fergus Burke broke away for a gorgeous try and wrested control right back in favor of the home team. And then, you know, this one kind of got away from Bay of Plenty in the end. They they really fought valiantly, but it was just never in the cards. Canterbury were better all year, and they continued that trend tonight. 
setting up a final matchup next weekend versus Wellington. I guess it's the, the big city showdown. I can't wait. So it was 24 to 10 for Canterbury, and they mentioned the finals would, would be back here in Christchurch next week. Should be amazing. So switching gears and going back over to Europe and France in particular, we'll look at the top 14 where it was round seven. I was very curious to see if we'd have a repeat of last weekend when every single home team won. So starting us off, the answer was instantly, nope, not this time, with Breve just getting hammered by Toulouse, scoring not a single point until the very, very end, dropping a 7-45 to blowout. Very interesting start and different feel for this round, I would say. So Perpignan versus Claremont made it two in a row, Claremont winning away uh, nil to 20 and then Poe versus Stade Francais would make it three in a row for the away teams. Stade just edging out their hosts by two in a truly exciting fixture. So good. And would you believe it? Montpellier versus Lyon made it four out of seven matches this weekend where the visitors would come away with a victory with a surprisingly frisky Lyon side taking down their hosts by a converted try. You know, if you, score, if you sort of scroll through the standings in the top 14, you'll see what a 500 league it really is. There's just so much parity, except at the very far ends, top and bottom. So as I was writing this little bit, um, there were four teams at four and three, two teams at four and two, who were still obviously to play, two teams at three and four, and one at three and three. No team has won every game, and the bottom four teams have all won two. This, I'm discovering, is a league that takes its sweet time shaking out the good teams from the not-so-good, and I'm settling in nicely for the long haul. Anyway, moving on, it was Cast versus uh, versus Bayon, and it was Cast who had upset the theme thus far, dispatching their guests with, without too much fuss, frankly, a, a comfortable 39-22 win at home, finally a home crowd with something to celebrate. Speaking of which, Bordeaux Begler were at home for Racing 92, and my something is very wrong with Racing Mantra, oh, it looks more spot-on with each new round. Bordeaux really smacked them around the first half, and I have to say, Finn, you know, if you're as unhappy as I sense you are right now, did you know there's a city called Quincy where the fans utterly adore their rugby team? We have great kits, an amazing festival atmosphere at the games, cheap but quality beer. You know, why don't you just come take a gander? You've clearly made enough money. Why not grow a shaggy mullet and join the ranks of the Free Jacks? Come on, it makes perfect sense. In any case... Rassing, they did keep fighting, but it was just never on for them. We had our second home victory, 29-17 to 17 at full time. And then Sunday, to close out the round, it was La Rochelle versus Toulon. It was a gorgeous affair. The crowd chanting, stamping, clapping, singing their brains out. I, mean, I swear, seeing an all-French rugby match in person has to be near the top of my bucket list. Uh, I'm desperate to bring this episode in without running it too long. So suffice to say, the home team more than took care of business, winning comfortably, getting their bonus point after the 80-minute mark, and the uh, the round would end with La Rochelle victorious 32-5 to over Toulon, much to the chagrin of a stoic Matthew Bastereau. Okay, moving on to the Premiership. Round 6 began on Friday with Sale versus London Irish. I got to tell you, I really didn't think Sale were going to be this good this year. Um, there was just so much turnover. It seemed unlikely that they would find the same success. And in a way, they haven't because they've found more. Naturally, the flip side of that is I thought the Exiles would be even better this year, and they clearly are struggling a bit. So as always, all predictions wrong or double your money back. So Sharks looked very comfortable in dispatching their guests by a wide margin in this one, 37-14. to 14. Sale were hoping to be the only unbeaten side after this weekend, but even from Printerland, they could hear the opening notes of the Imperial March as Bath trod their doomed path to the Stone X. Oh yeah, I promised I would stop doing the Star Wars references last week. Whoops! Anyway, Saturday, Exeter versus Wasps was of course 
sadly canceled with, as I'm sure you all know by now, Wasps going into administration this past week. The Prem feels like a wounded animal right now. Ugo Manyo was saying this week, and no, I won't do the accent, basically, who's next? And, you know, that's a chilling thought. Meanwhile, it was, of course, Gloucester at home for Bristol. This one, oh, it was a smasher, tied around the 45-minute mark. It had been the, the Genge and Sinkler show all night long. Those guys together are a freaking menace. Uh, a favorite little bit of mine was Lois Reese Samet tried to start a little scrap with Charles Piatow, much to Piatow's amusement. Uh, but it, somehow it seemed like that was a spark for Reese Samet to suddenly just start playing phenomenal defense. He was suddenly playing like a shutdown corner from, I don't know, the Seahawks Legion of Boom days. Like, where has this side of him been hiding? Can we have more, please? Anyway. This one must have been the most exciting match in the Prem so far this season to me. It was frenetic. It was exhausting. It came down to the very wire. Just so good. The Cherry and Whites just managed to snag this one at the end, and their great start continues. Only a single loss thus far. When the Prem is clicking, it's just top-notch for sure. Northampton versus Newcastle was up next. It was another incredibly good one, just nail-biting from top to bottom. There was only one point separating the teams at the half, and only one point between them at the end. Literally doesn't get any closer. As you'd imagine, it was the Falcons who would end up with the short end of the matchstick. Huh, matchstick, that's funny. And the Saints, like Gloucester, are off to a really nice start this year. Saracens versus Bath wasn't what I thought it would be at all. Very happy to see Bath really bring their best. They actually got to within a converted try of stealing a win from their unbeaten host with just eight or nine minutes left, but they, they never got another sniff. And it was four tries apiece for the two clubs, just the two extra penalties Owen Farrell was able to slot that made the difference in this one. 37-31 to 31 was the score at full time, but despite how much heart they showed, Bath are still winless on the year. So on Sunday, to wrap up the round in the Prem, it was Harlequins versus Leicester. I had been looking forward to this one all week. Naturally, what did I do? You guessed it. I glanced at the fixture list to make my little list of what's coming next weekend. And I should have remembered, the Prem's official website doesn't keep results and upcoming fixtures on separate pages. They're all right there in the same place. So I spoiled my own little party once again, seeing the final score before I'd had a chance to watch. Ugh, one of these weeks, I'll get it right, I swear. In any event, to close out the round, my Harlequins look to be a bit of a mess right now, losing again 19-27 to to the visiting Tigers. So that, of course, brings us to the Ultimate Rugby Championship. Uh, I still, uh, every time I say the whole name out, it just sounds dumb. Anyway, let's go back to the Irk. <laughs> round 5 of the Irk looked very exciting, with on Friday Ospreys hosting the Stormers in Swansea, and who would have guessed it? It was raining! Oh, by the way, Alan Wynne-Jones might not have the most hair in the world, but I theorize that over time, it's like become water resistant. His quaff just sort of appears the same even when it's cats and dogs out. It's like he's formed a, a, fo a follicular callus of some kind. Oh, also, I've been commenting here lately about how Reese Webb looks, for lack of a better word, fake, I guess. On this night, however, it, it was like his bronze finish was sort of washed away by the downpour. To me, the conditions really altered the complexion of this match. At halftime, the comms, in their beautiful lilting accents, said, one for the purists, followed by, uh, I like this, handling errors aplenty, <laughs> which, much like the uh, helter-kelter from last week, really made my day. Uh, Stormers ended up with the first try of the match after a lovely little move, and the comms said, a perfect scissors play, not something you often see in modern rugby. And my reaction was, why the F not? It looked gorgeous. Anyway, the rain was an absolute onslaught. But you know who that didn't bother one bit? 
the kids in the crowd. It was like they didn't even notice from the, the crowd shots they were giving us. Just lovely stuff. Uh, Steven Myler, he would end up tying this match with under four minutes to go with a kick that should have been swept out to sea. Holy crap, were the conditions abominable. Um, the faithful on hand, they lent their voices to the atmospheric tumult. It was so great. This one just got so good. Uh, Libuk, he attempted a drop goal to win it for the away team with almost no time left. I mean, they're called the Stormers, for God's sake. But it was not to be, and mercifully, the ref kind of hesitantly called full-time as men and women and children alike were washed away in the deluge. A draw, a draw, my kingdom for a draw. 16 all in the pouring rain. Also on Friday night, my Conic boys were looking to put in a good showing against Leinster, but I assumed it would take more than a new pitch to down the hulking beast they had on their hands. To be fair, Leinster didn't exactly bring all their top players, so I was trying to figure out where I had left that pesky hope from last week. Um, Jack Cardi, by the way, I hadn't realized... What a world-class shithouse artist he is. Really fun little tidbit from him this time. Good to have him back. Uh, for the match itself, through 65 minutes, there had only been one score, so theoretically it was anyone's game. Leinster, of course, they just know how to win. They don't care if it's a shootout or an absolute barren desert for points. They figured out uh, they figure out every time how to have more on the board than you do, day in and day out. And after my guys got yellow carded and the visitors slotted the penalty, it was sadly too late for a miracle. Connacht were again on the losing side. It was back to your regularly scheduled program. Leinster shutting out Connacht, nil to ten. Sigh. So on Saturday, of course, it was the Lions welcoming Ulster to Emirates Airlines Park, and this one for me carried a lot of league weight, if I can call it that. If Ulster traveled down to South Africa and got a win after their already strong start, I mean, they'd really be laying down a marker as a team to watch for bigger things this year. Uh, fortunately for them, only about 83 people bothered to show up for this one, so they probably had more echoes than cheers to contend with. And by the way, when Ulster wear that blue away kit, they look a lot like Leinster. Can we soon expect you know, a creepy movie called Single White Rugby Team? And yes, for those keeping score, that was your odd, esoteric, and massively outdated pop cultural reference for the week. Right before halftime, they mentioned my guy, future Scotland player John Cooney, was the URC's leading point scorer to date, which obviously meant he'd be missing the tying kick, and the Lions didn't appear too interested in dropping one at home. Uh, speaking of their home, and I know there are, you know, scientifically simple reasons for this, but the quality of the sunlight in South Africa, it's just so different than in Europe. Obviously, not too much sun to speak of in the UK this weekend anyway, but when there is, it doesn't look anything like this. It's just piercing and, and it's like it's a, an entirely different angle i mean which it is uh definitely one of my favorite things about following different comps is this type of thing the variety is truly for me the spice of rugby in any event lots of momentum swings in this one and is anyone else having a hard time recognizing matt lowry without his scrum cap it's just weird what happened to that anyway in any case I feel like I stopped paying attention by accident while I was compiling these notes. Suddenly, the Lions were within six after Ulster had led for the vast majority of this match, building the lead to 18 for a big chunk. With just 10 minutes to go, everything was in the balance, but the Lions just kind of ran out of time. And it was Ulster in the end, 37-39 to 39 in a barn burner. So good. Next up, the Sharks were host to the unpredictable Glasgow Warriors. I was really curious which Warriors team would show up for this one. Uh, they seem like the ultimate up-and-down team of this year. Um... So I was a bit worried with the return of Eben, my arms are bigger than your torso, Etzebeth, you know, things just kind of looked scary, uh, <laughs> as he always makes them. Just before the three-quarter mark, though, it was a good sign, for me at least, probably more so me than Glasgow, in fact, as the score read 21-12, obviously one of the greatest albums of all time. The Sharks' momentum kind of gathered from there, and the outcome was soon in no doubt at all, but I was definitely admiring the size of the beer cups in the crowd. It's, it's important to keep in mind the things that are most important, obviously. 
Friend of the pod, John Anderson, was surely bummed, but unsurprised to see the Warriors go down away. And Werner Koch, the uh, the Robert Plant of South African rugby, broke away for yet another as the clock expired. A 40-12 to 12 win for the Cell Sea Sharks down by the seashore. Cardiff faced off against the staggering Dragons. And as you'd know by now, Cardiff, I mean, they just smashed them. Dragons were never really in this one. The 31-14 to 14 final score really told you all you needed to know. Okay, I'm just going to go here. Potentially controversial hot take right now. So, okay, it's 31 to 14 against your club. There are, uh, I'm sorry, in your favor. You're up big. There are 15 seconds left. Scoring another try doesn't get you an extra bonus point. You've already got that. The other club can't catch up to get their own bonus point. The game is over by all definitions. At that point, just kick it out, right? Possible advantages from continuing to play? Zero. Possibility of the other team scoring yet again and sort of padding their own record? possibility very much in play potential injury factor for your own team very real i know these players are hardwired to give it their all until the very end but i feel like if a savvy nine decided to end the game rather than extending it in sort of just a hopeless scenario i mean that's actually the right call is it not why doesn't that ever happen anyway snake bit edinburgh welcome to benetton to the goddamn health and uh you know i was worried that they would underestimate their opponents and who boy was i wrong Edinburgh just utterly smashed Benetton top to bottom, so much so that when the visitors got their first try with only about five minutes left in the match, the Edinburgh players looked genuinely pissed off. For me, that's a very good sign. And of course, the crowd was ecstatic to have Duhan back. Oh, another good sign was even with maybe 30 seconds left, they just kept pouring it on, looking to get past that 50-point mark, which is exactly what they ended up doing. 53-8 uh, to eight was your final score in a chilly but happy night in the Scottish capital. Scarlets, they were home for Zebre. I honestly expected more out of Zebre for this one. The mediocre Scarlets team winning every battle up and down. It was just never in doubt, this one. I'm sticking to my, the Italian teams are for real this season prediction. But, you know, this result made me a little worried. Scarlet destroyed their guests by a 3-1 to ratio, 36-12 to at the final whistle. This weekend might be the weirdest we've seen in the URC, in the URC so far. But there was so much more to be seen. Finally, a potentially in-crisis Munster. They were back at home for their first time this year at Thoman Park for the powerful visiting Bulls still smarting from the big loss at the hands of Glasgow last weekend. I'd been hearing all week that Munster fans weren't going to be showing up in their usual numbers. It looked like a good group braving the wind and the rain to me, but, you know, what do I know? Uh, great stat they mentioned to underline Munster's woes this year from their four games this season. They've gotten only six league points, while at the same point last year they had 19 of a possible 20. And, you know, looking ahead to the next stretch, oof, it is an uphill climb for the boys from Limerick. The comms mentioned something interesting, which was, there are a lot of Con uh, Connor Murray fans, and there are a lot of Craig Casey fans, but not a lot of both. <laughs> I thought that was really well put, and uh, I have almost no opinion whatsoever about Connor Murray, but I can tell you, I do not like Craig Casey. The guy, he complained and remonstrated after every single play this evening. He is super annoying. There are some truly annoying scrum halves out there that I do like, looking squarely in your direction, TJ. But something about Casey just rubs me the wrong way. Anyway, for the match itself, it was another disjointed performance by the Bulls. It also took Munster, though, quite a while to start clicking. They seemed to find their rhythm, though, as their loyal fans sang and sang in the stands. Great stuff by their supporters. They had a two-try lead at halftime. The comms found a way to complain and criticize the ref without seeming to, by the way. They busted out the old, well, at least he's consistent. <laughs> Talk about damning with faint praise. Anyway, two first-half tries for Gavin Coombs led the way, and it was 31-17 to at the end. Thoman Park erupting over the bonus point win for Munster. 
Okay, just a quick Super 6 up, uh, uh, update for you. I'm still officially annoyed that Boromir Bears have shunned my attempts to give them my money. But this iteration of the comp is winding down. I figured I would do a check-in. Um, this weekend, Watsonians won at home against Harriet's Rugby 29-21 on Friday, uh, while my Bears would lose at home 21-33 to Ayrshire Bulls. And then I'm pleased to announce uh, that the Silver Puppies, as I've been calling them, the Sterling Wolves, they got a win, an away win no less, over Southern Knights, coming level record-wise, uh, though still behind on league points. As far as I can gather, this was in fact the final round for the Super 6 this time around. And, you know, there's no mention I can find of any kind of playoff or final fixtures or anything like that. Um, so if I'm right about that, great. If I'm not, please get in touch and let me know what I'm missing. If this was the end, that would leave Watsonians at the very top, winners by virtue of 46 table points to Ayrshire's 44, with my Bears only managing half that number, and then Harriet's Southern Knights and Sterling rounding out the bottom three with 17, 11, and 9, respectively. Super 6, we hardly knew ye. by the music, you'll know that it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week the award goes to Stephen Myler. Mr. Myler, your 11 points represented, well, 11 sixteenths of your team's overall output. Sorry about that, there's no way to reduce those numbers anymore. But it was your drive, your leadership, your inspirational presence that have earned you this, the most prestigious of all awards this weekend. Uh, your skill off the ball, your aggressive approach to all aspects of the game are a big part of why your Ospreys are currently ranked second defensively in the URC, and your steely-eyed glare. It's a thing of rare beauty. Stephen Myler, you were a joy to watch even in the absurd downpour in Swansea. So congratulations to you, my friend, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck, well done. So that, of course, brings us to our updates and previews for the Rugby World Cup. Saturday, the 22nd, it'll be Australia versus Wales, New Zealand versus Scotland, oh God, and France versus Fiji. Sunday, the 23rd, of course, it'll be Japan versus Italy, Canada versus USA. That's going to be so good. The obvious game of the week. And then England versus South Africa. That will close out the pool stages, which means we will be having special guest Rachel Law make her triumphant return to discuss all of it very soon. Please check out the Twitters for those details. Then the NPC finals, the National Provincial Championship final will be at Orange Theory Stadium in Christchurch on Saturday, the 22nd at 2.05 a.m. my time. I admit, I'm pretty tempted to set an alarm. It'll feature, of course, Canterbury at home to face Wellington, and I foresee a very close contest, though I think home field might make the difference in the end. In the top 14 for round eight, we'll have six games on the Saturday featuring Racing uh, versus Montpellier, Bayonne versus Perpignan, Lyon versus Po, Stade Francais will be facing Brive, and Toulon will be taking on Cast, and then Claremont versus Bordeaux-Begle, followed by, on Sunday, an absolute killer of a fixture, Toulouse hosting La Rochelle. Can't wait for that one. Over in the Gallagher Premiership for round seven, we'll see one Friday match, London Irish versus Gloucester, then it's Bath versus Northampton, Exeter versus uh, Saracens on Saturday. Ooh, that's going to be good. Wow, each of these competitions has one incredibly good match at least this weekend. Finally, Sale versus Harlequins on Sunday. Strike what I said previously about them sorting out the schedule because, you know, the disappearance of Wasps has clearly caused even more turmoil, giving us only four fixtures from an 11-team league. What a mess. Then, the URC finally... Round six of the URC will feature on Friday Benetton versus Bulls and Connick versus Scarlets, while on Saturday it'll be Zebra hosting Edinburgh. The Lions will be facing Glasgow. The Sharks will take on Ulster. Ooh, that's also going to be good. Then Leinster versus Munster. Oh, man. 
and Cardiff versus the Stormers. And then on Sunday, we will, uh, is it worth mentioning? We'll have the Dragons hosting Ospreys. So, you know, if you have things you need to get done around the house this weekend, I would strongly urge you to pick Sunday. So as a little side thing here, I did some digging around. I was trying to, you know, I was thinking about the connection between outright scoring and winning. You know, there are some sports where simply just being the high, most high scoring team is going to guarantee you some level of success. And I don't think rugby is like that. So I just decided I would look at some numbers and hopefully this is interesting for you. Um, I looked at each of the competitions I've been following. So in the URC, the team that scores the most points on average is not in first place. And likewise, the team that scores the fewest is not in last place. Ulster in second place are averaging 38 points a game while Ooh, this hurts a bit. Connacht are only averaging about 11, well, not about, exactly 11.8 and sitting in 15th place. Over in the Prem, the team that scores the most is on top. That is, of course, Saracens, who are averaging 38.6 points a game, while the team scoring the least is nowhere near as far off. That's, of course, Bristol. They're scoring 25.2 a game, making the, them the lowest scoring club by a slim margin. And they're currently right smack dab in the middle at sixth in terms of league standings. In the top 14, this, uh, the team scoring the most, Toulouse, right on 31 points a game, is in first place. And the team scoring the least, Perpignan, with just 10.6 points a game, they are at the very bottom. What does all of this tell us? Well, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it shows that scoring the most points doesn't guarantee you a top spot, but it definitely helps quite a bit, and the reverse also holds true. I also think it illustrates some differences between these three competitions, where the URC and the top 14 have huge deltas, you know, 26.2 for the URC and 20.4 for the top 14, while the Prem is a lot more even, with a difference of only 13.4. Um, that could well point to the fewer teams in the Prem, especially now, but, you know, I'm very curious to see what these numbers do as we get into the latter stages of each of these competitions. Fun stuff. <laughs> Well, my friends, that does it for another week, and I am exhausted. <laughs> Apart from everything else, don't forget, it's the NPC Finals this coming week. That should be incredible. I hope you enjoyed the new, only very slightly altered format. I already like it better myself. So, as always, thanks again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And, of course, be well. <laughs>